When my wife Kelly and I first started dating many, many years ago, as I suspect is true in probably every dating relationship, we started to realize how different our two families are. And that's probably true in every dating relationship. Uh, our families are different. No two families are the same. And in fact, some families are very different than others. Just, just some examples. When we get together, we would both observe that the way our families interact, the dynamic, is just different. When we started celebrating holidays together, we discovered that even though we we're celebrating the same holiday, we had different traditions, different customs. Our two families had different priorities. Our two families had different ways of, of dealing or not dealing with conflict. Both of our families had expectations of the different members of the family, and sometimes those were spoken, and often they were unspoken. They were assumed, and you had to figure it out. And of course, as you would guess, we both assumed that our family was the normal one. My family was the normal one. Kelly assumed her family was the normal one, which meant when we saw difference, that meant the other family was the abnormal family. The other family was the one potentially that we saw as wrong. Just one uh, silly example. Uh, we noticed that there was a difference in the way we celebrated Christmas. In Kelly's family, the big meal is on Christmas Eve, and that's when you open presents. My family, we had the big meal on Christmas afternoon, on Christmas Day, and that's when we opened the gifts. Now, of course, I'm a pastor, and I work on Christmas Eve. That means I won that particular debate. Now, the truth is that as we've had a marriage now for almost 30 years, we've had to figure out how we combine things that seem abnormal, how we've both brought into our relationship and our family traditions, customs, priorities from both of our families, and then added our own and reinterpreted them in a new way that works for us. We've both had to compromise. When I do premarital counseling, there's a, a list of questions I'll often ask a couple, not because I'm looking for the right answer, but just to make sure they're on the same page. I ask questions like, whose family will you spend the holidays with? What are your expectations about birthdays and celebrations and gifts? Who's going to mow the yard? Who's going to take care of getting the car maintained? Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to scrub the toilet? How will you discipline the children? I always ask, how much is it okay for your spouse to spend at the store without having talked to you about it first? I ask, how many kids, how many dogs, how many cats will you have, and how soon will you start acquiring them? Or having them. Like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, but sometimes couples surprise each other when one answers a question very differently than the other. One time I asked a couple, what, what do you think your typical family vacation will be? Well, the, the bride immediately uh, lit up and got very excited, and she says, oh, we will definitely be buying season passes to Disney World 
and we will always go to Disney for our family vacation. I looked over at the groom, and he had a look of horror on his face. Apparently, she had never let him in that this would be how their family would be having their vacations together. You see, we have this idea that, that what I think is right is normal. And if you have a different idea, well, that's not normal. That's not what people do. That's, that's abnormal, right? So the question has to be, what is normal? And who gets to decide what's normal and what's not? Usually when we call something normal, it's just, it's just because that's what we know. That's what we're familiar with. That's what we're most accustomed to. When, when something is normal to us, it doesn't have to mean that it's, it's more important or morally superior, but sometimes we act as though that's the case. For some reason, when we encounter something that's different or someone who is different, our first reaction is revulsion. That this is strange, that this isn't the way things are supposed to be. Think about this. Over a billion people on our planet eat every meal with chopsticks. In fact, there may be more people in the world eating food with chopsticks than with a fork and knife. Does that mean a fork is abnormal? When I go to Guatemala and uh, eat there, my Guatemalan friends always put corn tortillas homemade on the table every single day meal. I got to tell you, the only time I eat a corn tortilla is when I eat tacos or burritos. I don't eat corn tortillas every day, much less every meal. Does that mean corn tortillas are abnormal or am I abnormal? Look around. Most of the world's population doesn't look like me. Most people in the world have darker skin pigmentation than I do. Does that make me abnormal? Most Americans, most Europeans no longer practice religion. They may claim to have religious beliefs, but they don't practice religion. Does that make religion abnormal? Globally, the median household income globally is less than $10,000 a year. I make more than that. I suspect you make more than that too. Does that make us abnormal? What is normal? Just a couple more examples. Three times as many people speak Mandarin Chinese than English. Does that make Mandarin the, the normal language? And here lately, we you know, are having this debate in our country about face coverings. Some people feel strongly, you know, that is the right thing to do. We should enforce people to wear face coverings during this pandemic. Other like, no, you can't make me do that. That's a violation of my rights. Well, in Asian countries, for decades, people have worn face masks normally. Anytime they've had a common cold, just as a courtesy not to get someone else sick. What's the normal things to do? I mean, this is the case for all of us, right? Every one of us, depending on where we're from and our culture and our family of origin and 
what we're familiar with, some things will seem more normal than others. The question is, when we're confronted with something that doesn't seem normal, something different, how rigid will our standards be? How, how rigidly biased are we toward what we consider to be normative? Or we might ask, how accepting of we are we of difference? When we encounter something that's new and different, do we inquire about it? Do we ask about it? Are we open? Or do we judge it and reject it? I think we're going to be honest. A lot of us, for a lot of us, difference is hard. Different from what we consider normal. Sometimes can feel very threatening. Sometimes when we encounter a new tradition, a new idea, a new approach, we can immediately tend to assume that different is wrong. In today's scripture, uh, we are looking at Romans chapter 14. Uh, it's about customs in the Roman church, and apparently there was a conflict. Uh, there were some who in the Roman church believed that, that what you ate and didn't eat really mattered. So they ate very restrictive diets, but apparently there were other Christians in the Roman church who said, there are no restrictions. Christ does not require me to restrict what I eat. I can eat whatever I want. And apparently, as silly as it sounds, there was a conflict between these two groups looking down their nose at the other. Why do you have to restrict yourself? Why don't you honor our traditions? There was conflict over the difference. Apparently there was also a division. I, I don't know if it were the same groups or not, but there were some who thought that certain traditions, certain special holidays had to be observed in certain ways. But then there were others who said, well, there, there aren't special days. Every day is special. We, we don't have to do anything now. We have freedom in Christ. And so there was conflict. Each group looking down their nose at each other, judging the other, judging the spirituality of the other, judging the morality of the other over special days, over food, what we eat and what we don't eat. And so Romans is written by the Apostle Paul who addresses this conflict in the church. Now remember, before the Apostle Paul started following Christ, he was a Pharisee. You remember the Pharisees, don't you? The Pharisees were rule makers and rule enforcers. They equated uh, being faithful with keeping rules and traditions. And remember, Jesus got in conflict with them all the time. Now, I believe Jesus was a faithful Jew, including all the the traditions of the Jewish religion. But he never did it good enough for the Pharisees. They criticized Jesus time after time for, for not following their rules well enough. They criticized him for hanging around with people they considered to be rule breakers. And ultimately it was the Pharisees who had Jesus killed. Well, Paul was a Pharisee. And until his conversion on the road to Damascus, he assumed 
that religion was all about rule keeping, keeping it within the lines, doing what's normal and expected. But once he met the resurrected Christ, everything changed. He discovered that we're made right with God through grace and not by works. That God's favor has nothing to do with rule keeping. Now, now think about this. Paul was a circumcised Jew. His whole life he had eaten a traditional Jewish diet. He had observed religion in a very particular kind of way. But he was the first in the new Christian church to advocate for freedoms for non-Jewish converts, doing away with dietary restrictions, doing away with the necessity of circumcision, and a whole host of other things. In essence, Paul thought, if it matters to someone, then they should do it. But if it doesn't matter to them, if it doesn't make them closer to Christ, if it doesn't make them more faithful, then they don't need to do it. Paul made it a habit. When he was around Jewish Christians, he lived as a Jew. He ate as a Jew. But when he was with Gentiles, he lived as a Gentile. He was happy to accept difference. And so in Romans 14, uh, verse 3, it says, those who eat must not look down on those who don't. And the ones who don't eat must not judge the ones who do, because God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? They stand or fall before their own Lord, and they will stand because the Lord has the power to make them stand. One person considers some days to be more sacred than others, while another person considers all days to be the same. Each person must have their own convictions. Someone who thinks that a day is sacred thinks that way for the Lord. Those who eat, eat for the Lord because they thank God. And those who don't eat, don't eat for the Lord. And they thank the Lord too. We don't live for ourselves, and we don't die for ourselves. What's Paul trying to say? He's saying, quit judging each other. He's, he's saying, Christians, quit judging other Christians just because they don't practice their faith in the same way you do. Don't, don't judge another Christian because they seem more strict in their practice of their Christianity than you are. Don't judge another Christian because they're not as strict as you are. Don't judge another Christian because you don't always share the same views. Don't judge, respect their convictions, respect their dedication. Jesus said, judge a tree by its fruits. Don't judge the practice. See if it bears fruit in their life. If it's leading them to a closer relationship with God, then celebrate it. Don't judge it just because it's different. A couple other verses I want to highlight. Verse 10. Paul says, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you look down on your brother or sister? We will all stand in front of the judgment seat of God. Verse 17 and 18. God's kingdom isn't about eating food and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ this way pleases God and gets human approval. Verse 22. Keep 
the belief that you have to yourself. It's between you and God. One of the times in my life I've experienced the most significant difference was on a trip about 20 years ago to South Korea. Kelly and I joined another, a, a group of pastors and their wives. And we went to Seoul, where some of the largest churches in the world exist. And we had the opportunity to, to visit those churches and see how they operate. Well, at one point during the week, uh, all of the pastors and their wives were, were split up and, and assigned to local Korean pastors. We, we were assigned to a, a man and a woman who are pastors of one of these very large Korean churches. And we spent the whole day with them going from house to house visiting people. Now, I probably don't have to tell you, uh, South Korea is very different than the United States, very different than Florida. And that day was full of challenges. First of all, I, I don't speak Korean, neither, do, neither does Kelly. Neither, neither did they speak English. So all day, communication was a challenge. As we would arrive at each home, uh, it's customary in Korea to remove your shoes as you enter the house. Well, that's fine, except I mostly wear lace-up shoes. And so it became this awkward moment every time I went in and out of a house to have to bend over and untie or, or retie my shoe. Um, everything in Korea is small, uh, and I'm not small. And so all day I was being shoved in or out of spaces I, I didn't really fit. It's customary in a Korean household to sit on the floor. Even 20 years ago, it was comical watching me get up and down in every household. And it's, it's customary when you enter a household to present a gift to the host. Well, we never really knew for sure whether we had brought the right kind of gifts or not. But the whole day just felt awkward and uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable and socially uncomfortable. We weren't sure if we were doing the right thing or what was happening. And sometimes it was just funny. I don't know that I would go back to South Korea. I, I don't know that I would repeat that day. It was not the most fun experience I've ever had. But, but what I learned that day was that even though it was awkward and difficult, and uncomfortable that it was important. It was important for Kelly and I to honor the differences, to, to accommodate to the differences, to accept the differences in order to honor our hosts, in order to honor the pastors who were, who were helping us as we went visiting from place to place. I'm sure we made mistakes. I'm sure, I'm sure we had those awkward moments that I may not even be fully aware of, but I learned that day that it's important as brothers and sisters in Christ to accept differences, not to automatically assume that difference is wrong. Well, why are we talking about all this, this uh, difference business? What's normal, what's not normal? Because this summer, our theme is connectability. Obviously, this is a season when many of us feel very disconnected. And, and a lot of that's because of the pandemic and social distancing. But let's be honest, there's a lot of things that are causing us to be disconnected. There's a huge political divide in our country. There, there's a lot of stuff happening 
uh, protests recently where we're just divided as a country in so many different ways. But we keep saying that over and over, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to be connected through love, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's to be connected with each other. Well, one of the things that disconnects us, one of the things that gets in the way of connection is when we overemphasize our differences, when we make our differences dividing lines. Friends, this happens in churches. Paul is writing to the church of Rome. They are divided in the church over dietary customs and practices and how they will or won't observe what they consider to be special days. It's a division in the church. Many of you probably know our United Methodist Church is deeply divided right now over uh, whether or not we will accept and include fully LGBTQ plus persons. If not for the pandemic, we might already have divided. And if we're going to be honest, even here at First Church, we can get pretty divided over differences sometimes. Before the pandemic, we had two worship services every Sunday, a modern service and a traditional service. And, and Members have very strong feelings about which is the right way to worship. And sometimes those feelings get expressed very vocally, condemning the other as not being really spiritual, not real worship. We have different Sunday schools in this church that have different practices and different philosophies and different theologies even in our church that largely has embraced the LGBTQ community. I can't say that that's 100% true. We have different politics in our church. We have different ideas about what our church's vision and mission should be, where we should be heading in the future, how we should be spending money, how we allocate space, what, what we should be doing for others who are in need. And as you all know, many of us, many of you, aren't bashful about expressing your opinions. And that's fine. A church like us should have different ideas and different opinions and manage to remain in communion together. We don't all have to look alike and all think alike. First Church belongs to all of us. Not just to me, not just to the staff, not just to the leaders. It belongs to all of us. We are one big diverse family, serving one God, worshiping one God in many different ways. So who's right? Who's wrong? Well, who's to say? And why does it really matter? I think Paul's point to us today is don't let your differences divide you. Minimally, you can learn how to accept and tolerate someone's ideas that are somebody's ways of, of being in this world, someone's ways of, of worshiping Christ. If it's not your way, that's fine. We can learn to accept and tolerate that in another. But I think Paul would also tell us you can take the greater, more Christ-like step. And that is to celebrate the difference, to embrace the difference, 
to honor the difference, to learn the difference. Honor each person's journey. Honor each person's desire to honor their God, whether it's your way or not. Think about Jesus. There's a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jews hated Samaritans, and this particular woman had a, had a history of immorality, and yet Jesus treated her with deep respect. On another occasion, Jesus is, in, is encountered by a Roman centurion. Jews hated the Romans. They were occupiers, and this centurion comes to him and says, my beloved servant is dying, and you could heal him. As a Roman, he was probably an idolater. He was an occupier. He, he probably had killed people as a soldier. But Jesus honored his faith and his love for his servant. Jesus treated these outsiders who were very different than him with love and respect, as he did with all the people that he encountered, as he calls us to do. Think about the people that surrounded him all the time. Tax collectors, prostitutes, zealots, people who had been possessed by demons, people who had had diseases of every kind, women who were not treated with tremendous respect in that society, commoners, poor people, working class. That's who Jesus spent his time with. And speaking of Jesus, by the way, we probably should remember that there aren't many people in this world that you and I are more different than, than Jesus. And I don't just mean that he's the son of God. This man that we worship, that we've given our morning to this morning, lived 2,000 years ago, pre-technology, pre-internet, pre-modern science. He was a Jew. Most of us aren't Jews. He was Jew ethnically. He was a Jew religiously, Jew culturally. He spoke Aramaic. I doubt there's anybody watching this service right now that speaks Aramaic. He was poor, poorer than any of us know, from a poor region, from a poor family. As far as we know, he never married. He never had children. He certainly didn't look like us. The real Jesus of history never looked much like those images we see of Jesus in Sunday school with blonde hair and fair skin and blue eyes, very European. He looked like a Middle Easterner with dark brown skin and dark eyes and probably dark curly hair. Our Lord, our Savior, couldn't have been much more different than you or I, thank goodness. I was thinking recently, what if, what if First Church opened our doors to the kind of people that Jesus attracted, to the kind of people that Jesus drew to himself? I wonder, would we embrace those people and welcome them into our family, or would we struggle with the differences they bring? What if our church increasingly reflected the diversity of greater Orlando, the, the ethnic diversity. Did you know that the, the largest, fastest growing population in Central Florida is Spanish speaking? What, what would happen to our church? How, how would we have to be different 
to welcome those people into our church family? Or what if our church became younger? I have a feeling that if we attract many young people, they're going to have new ideas about what the church is supposed to be. What if we increasingly attracted people who are broken, I mean openly broken and in need of healing? What, what if we increasingly became a comfortable place for people who are economically poor? Would we celebrate the inclusion of new people? Would we find ways to connect with them? Or would we be threatened by the difference? Friends, I'm convinced that if there is a future for the church in America, that church must be more diverse and younger, a reflection of the community it exists to serve. John Wesley, our founder, once said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. And friends, often the differences are very small. So what's the point of today's message? The point is we all need connection. We need connection with God and we need connection with people. And there's a direct relationship. The more that I am cut off from my neighbor, the more I'll be cut off from God. The closer I am to my neighbor, the more I overcome differences between myself and my neighbor, the closer I will be to God, the more I will understand the heart of God. There is so much that unnecessarily drives us apart, and I think that breaks the heart of God. Friends, different is just different. Different isn't inferior. Different isn't wrong. Different isn't immoral. Different is just different. It doesn't have to divide us, and it doesn't have to separate us. And in fact, the more we're able to bridge the gap of difference, the more that we're able to approach someone in their difference, the more we're able to learn and accept the differences of another, the more and more you and I will be like the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So Lord, make us like Jesus. Make us more accepting. Lord, help us to be less troubled and threatened by difference. Lord, help us to be more defen less defensive about what we think is right and normal. And Lord, we pray for our church in this difficult season. Help us stay connected to you and to one another and to those who need us and who we need. We pray this in Jesus' name.